Jesus' name. Today, we're going to start by looking at three historical accounts from the Bible, which are all connected in one particular way. The first account is Gideon. So we'll be starting at Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. The situation was that the Midianites had um, come and, and oppressed the, uh, the children of Israel um, for seven years. Um, they, and, uh, and they started to cry out to the Lord and, and the Lord sent a prophet and said, well, this is because you're worshipping idols and not me. Um, tried, to, tried to warn you and, and this, this is really your own sin that is bringing it. But God still made a way of deliverance. And in Judges 6 and 11, it says, And there came an angel of the Lord, and sat under an oak, which is in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abbeer's right. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. He was saying that to a guy who was hiding um, and, and uh, not really looking very uh, valiant at that particular point in time. And Gideon said unto him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our father told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites." And the Lord looked upon him, and that really means he took note of him, and said, Go in this your might, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you. That's pretty direct from the Lord. That's, that's something that whatever Gideon thought of himself, the Lord himself thought that he could do more. And he said unto him, O oh my Lord, Wherewith shall I save Israel? How am I going to save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Saying, I'm not worthy. I, I can't do this. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall smite the Midianites as one man. So the Lord didn't just speak to him once, but he spoke and confirmed again. And he said unto him, um, that's Gideon, if now I have found grace in your sight, then show me a sign that you talk with me. Gideon then cooked a meal for the angel, which was put on a rock and was burned up by fire that came out of the rock. And during this, the angel disappeared. And then in verse 22, And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto you. Fear not, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Lord just wasn't going to leave him alone. <laughs> Lord knew what he wanted to do through Gideon. And so he started to prepare him for that great task. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take your father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that, is, that your father has, and cut down the grove that is by it, 
and build an altar unto the Lord your God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which you shall cut down. There wasn't going to be anything left of what had been built up to worship the false gods. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day that he did it by night. The second account that we're going to look at is the account of Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto you, behold, I have sent therewith, oh, sorry, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeks a quarrel against me. And it was so, when Elisha the man of God had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore have you rent your clothes? Let him now come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall come again to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpa, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much rather then when he said to you, wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And the third account that we're going to look at, we've looked at Gideon, we've looked at Naaman, and the third account is around King Jehoram of Israel. By way of background, the king of Syria had tried to wage war with Israel, But the prophet Elisha, through the Spirit of the Lord, told King Jehoram Syria's battle plans more than once. This really frustrated the king of Syria. And after trying to capture Elisha, 
which was a disaster for Syria, they placed a siege around Samaria, the capital of Israel. Things got so bad for Samaria that women started eating their own children to survive. But God prophesied through Elisha that tomorrow things would return to normal. We pick up the account in 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 3. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say, We will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. If we sit here, sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses, and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the outermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried from there silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it, and came again and entered into another tent and carried there also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, Some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. It's all over the span of just one night. So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied and the tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. And the king arose in the night and said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get in to the city. He saw it as a tactical battle plan. And one of his servants answered and said, let some take, I pray you, five of the horses that remain which are left in the city. Behold, they are as all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say, they even as all the multitude of the Israelites that are consumed, and let us send and see. They therefore took, they took therefore two chariot horses, and the king sent after the host of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. And they went after them unto Jordan, and lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. And the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold, for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord, just as God had spoken through the prophet Elisha. It will be the next day. So, now you've heard the three accounts, one of Gideon, one of um, Naaman, and one of the king of Israel, Jehoram. These three accounts are different in many ways. So what connects them together? What is the thread that runs through and ties them to each other? It's the fact 
then in all three of these accounts, servants had a big impact on the outcome in a good way. In Gideon's account, it is obvious that although God had told him that he was a mighty man of valor, Gideon's assessment of himself was many levels below that. Firstly, he was rebelling against the Midianites, but in secret. He threshed wheat in an unusual place to hide it from the Midianites. When God told him to save Israel from the hand of the Midianites, he talked about how worthless he was. His family was poor in Manasseh, and he was the least in his father's house. He was trying to make himself the lowest of the low. Then, after God again encouraged Gideon that Gideon would save Israel as he had said, Gideon asked for a sign. This was a man with zero confidence in himself. Even God's words to him weren't making a difference. So when God asked him the same night to tear down his father's idolatrous altar and build an altar to God in its place, there was no way that he was confident enough to do it on his own. He took ten servants with him for both moral support and support in numbers. And he also did it by night instead of by day because he was afraid. If the servants had refused, there was no way that Gideon was going to do it on his own. The servants knew the stakes as much as Gideon did. They knew that there would be a backlash from his father's household, but they still went and helped Gideon to do what God had asked him to do. And that was the start of Gideon's training for bigger things. Without the faithful servants, there wouldn't have been a victory over the Midianites later. Without their willingness to go, to support, to help, then there would not have been the victory that God wanted to give. In the account of Naaman, twice servants had an impact on his life in a good way. The first was a servant girl who waited on Naaman's wife. She was the one that told Naaman's wife that there was a prophet in Israel that could heal Naaman's leprosy. So Naaman went to Israel expecting a big ceremony of healing. Instead, he was told to wash in a degrading, dirty river seven times. His pride was bruised and he went off in a huff. But it was his servants who were able to talk him around to appeal to his common sense. All he had to do was follow, through what, God, was follow what God had asked him to do. What God through Elisha had asked him to do. All he had to do was do that. But his pride was going to stop him from receiving the healing that he needed and that God was offering to him. Without the servants... He wouldn't have reconsidered and would have gone back to his home country straight away. Without the servants, Naaman would have been a leper until the day he died. And in the account of King Jehoram, God had already promised through Elisha that the next day everything would return to normal in the city. The only way that could happen is if the siege was ended, but there was no end in sight. It had been going on for a very long time. And they were just happy to wait. They were just waiting, yep, waiting for everyone to die or for them to surrender. But four starving lepers decided to throw themselves on the mercy of the Syrians who were surrounding the city. And God used the sound of their footsteps to make it sound like an army was coming, so the Syrians fled. And the lepers eventually told the city the good news. But King Jehoram didn't believe the news. This was a man who was paranoid. This was a man who was afraid. He thought it was a trick by the Syrians. 
And despite the prophecy of God, he was going to do nothing and continue to starve to death with all the people of the city. But one servant stood up and encouraged the king and said, let's go check it out. What's the harm in a small number of us checking? He may have been the only one game enough to speak, but his logic made perfect sense. And the king was persuaded to check if the story was true. And there was a great deliverance that day. Without the servant speaking up, there was no exiting the city and there was no victory. Without the servant, they all could have died when the victory and the prophecy had already been given by God. In all of these accounts, the servants were nobodies. They had no power. They would have had some skills, but they never made a name for themselves. None of the names of the servants are even recorded in the Bible. They weren't important enough to record. But the impact that they had on the outcome of each of these accounts was significant. Without their input, their encouragement, and their action, the accounts would have ended up very different and probably wouldn't have been recorded in the Bible, at least not in the level of detail that they were. So why is that important to us today? Because even though we've been saved and we've become servants of the King of Kings, we can see ourselves as useless or having no value. When that is so far from the truth that it's not funny. The title of this message is The Value of You. The Value of You. You may never stand behind a pulpit and preach. In fact, you might rather die than stand in front of the people and speak. I remember a survey done a long time ago that indicated that more people were afraid of public speaking than they were of death itself. So that's a very natural thing, and I doubt that the percentages have changed much today throughout the general populace. But just because you might never teach or preach behind a pulpit doesn't mean that you have no value in the kingdom of God. You might never look after a... um, Uh, a section in the church. You might never be the men's leader. You might never be the ladies' leader. But you have value in God's eyes and value for the church. Just the fact that you're in this place today means that you have value. God didn't save you because he felt sorry for you and wanted to make you feel a bit better about your situation. No, God saved you because he could see the value in you and what you could do in and for his kingdom way before you even stepped into a church. And if you're here today, fairly new to this church, this might even be your first time here, God has drawn you to this place because he sees the value in you. He wants to change your life in a good way. All of the things that you struggle with and can't overcome, Jesus wants to free you from all of them. Yes, it is possible. Yes, he has that kind of power. Yes, he can overcome what you can't and you think is impossible. And help you to see the value in yourself that you have always had. You see, God has no interest in junk. God doesn't make junk. None of the... 
the things have been created on this earth, the, the trees, the flowers, the plants, the animals, everything is beautiful. The universe, everything is beautiful. Nothing is junk. And we are the pinnacle of his creation. So God doesn't make junk. And nobody in this place is junk. I promise you that. Because no person is ever junk. Satan the accuser would tell you that you're junk. But that's a lie, just like everything else that he says. It's just that sometimes we choose to actually believe it. Despite what God would tell us. Despite what you think of yourself, despite how you see yourself, you are not junk or worthless. You are a special, individual, unique creation of God with skills and abilities that God has given you himself. I'm reminded of the parable of the ten talents and the five talents and the one talent. Yes, talents are a form of money um, and the parable, just like other parables, are talking about natural things to make a spiritual point. So there is a very direct relationship between that parable and and what God has given to us. It goes that the the father, the the, the head of, of of the household, gave to his servants talents. He gave one ten talents, he gave one five, he gave one one. And he went on a long journey, and when he came back, the one who had um, ten talents had added another ten. When he came back, the one who had five talents had added another five. But the one that had one talent went and hid it and brought it to his master. And the master was angry with him. What we need to realize is that he wasn't angry because he only had one talent, but because he hadn't done anything with what God had given him. I note that it's very interesting that there wasn't a fourth servant that he gave no talents to. And said, well, yep, you can just make do with what you got. Because God gives every something to every single one of us. He may give more things to certain people. That's, that's, that's sometimes what he does. He may be able to use different people in different ways. But he never gives a person nothing. Everyone always has at least one talent. And if that person with that one talent had actually used it properly, they could have added at least one more talent to that. See, when we work with God, when we allow God to use us, when we, we realize our value and our worth in the kingdom of God, a person with one talent is not worthless. A person with one talent has great value in the eyes of God when we allow him to use that gift, that ability, that thing that God has given us. And in the scriptural principles, when we allow him to, then he adds to that. He, he reveals to us more of what he has given us. He reveals to us hidden talents that we didn't know about. If you think that you have no skills, no abilities, no talents whatsoever, then you're wrong. Because God gives everybody something. 
you just haven't found it. You have chosen to close your eyes. You have chosen not to believe it. You have chosen to believe the lies of the enemy. Sometimes we're completely blind to ourselves and to what we can offer God. You think, I'm just me. I can't do anything. Well, that's not true. When we offer everything of ourselves to God, what we think is useless or junk, God can show us our value and our true skills. But if we're not willing, then he can't work with us. Gideon was a man who was a mess inside. He was a coward. He was full of fear. He had no self-confidence, unable to see his value and worth no matter what God said or how many times that he said it. The truth is, Gideon was actually a mighty man of valor, just like God told him. It was actually used to deliver the Israelites from the Midianites, just like God told him. He still, after the account that we read, he still fleeced the Lord twice, which the Lord answered. And even after that, he still needed to hear a prophecy from the mouth of one of the Midianites themselves before he allowed God to use him. The point is that Gideon's perception of himself was completely false. God could see who he was inside, his value and his worth, and what he would be able to do for God's glory. He needed to grow in faith and obedience first. He needed to trust God. He needed to, to do what God asked him to do, and God would prepare him. God would, would help him to get to the place where he was able to use him in the way that he wanted to. But he became everything that God said he would become. And just like Gideon... We often have a view of ourselves that is completely false. God even tries to tell you how much you have worth, how much he loves you, but it falls on deaf ears. You're not willing to listen. You have this own internal thing going on that you're not allowing God to get through. Now, if you're here today full of pride and think you can do everything and anything by yourself, then this message isn't for you. You have a different problem that God will address in a later message. But if you think you have no value, that you're rubbish, then you're fighting against God himself because nobody is rubbish. And you've believed the lies of the devil when God is trying to tell you the truth about yourself. You have value. You are valuable. You have things that God has given you that you can use for his kingdom. Don't be a Gideon in his early days. You don't need to fleece God to find your true value. And God doesn't have to answer any fleeces you give him because he's already given you a witness in his word, the Bible, and through the tongue interpretations in the church, especially recently. And he has tried to personally show you your value and your worth many times. You need to start having a little bit of faith. You are unique. You are valuable You have worth, and God is able to use you for his kingdom. You might never be a preacher or a teacher of God's word, but there are things that anybody can do to encourage the church. The Bible talks about the body being fitly joined together and compacted and and working together, encouraging every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. 
There are things that anybody can do to encourage the church. Think about these nameless servants in our three biblical accounts that had such an impact on the lives of others. Gideon's servants supported and encouraged. They were moral support. They went right alongside somebody who was afraid to do what God had asked him to do. They were there. They were encouraging. They were supporting. They were there every step of the way, supporting him until the work was finished. Naaman's servants encouraged Naaman to just do what God had asked him to do, cutting through all of the excuses and the arguments that he brought up against doing it. They were able to encourage them to keep going in the Lord. King Jehoram's servant would have known about the prophecy of Elijah and was willing to have a little faith when the king was lacking faith. He was able to steer the king in the right direction. Even the lepers, the lowest of the low, social outcasts, they had a huge impact in that story. They were just doing what they, 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 they thought they could do and, and there wasn't many options to them, so they just did it and God used their steps to make a huge difference in the situation. Talk about the lowest of the low, God still used the lepers. We might not have a name or a title in the church. We may never be a department leader, but we don't need to have one to have an impact. If you know of a brother or a sister who is struggling in their faith or their walk with God, you can be the one to encourage them to keep going. That's not hard. Helping somebody to stay in the church is huge in God's eyes. You can you can have a huge impact in someone's salvation. And that is not a small thing. Don't belittle yourself. Don't think that that is nothing. If you can encourage someone, you're doing great. You're doing great things in the kingdom of God. First of all, you can pray for your brothers and sisters and definitely pray for the pastor who appreciates all of your prayers. In general... Brothers should be encouraging brothers and sisters should be encouraging sisters, especially if either or both people are married. But within those guidelines, you can have a huge impact on encouraging each other in the church, especially if you have the Holy Ghost and are sensitive to the Spirit of God. If you pray about who God wants you to encourage, He can lead you to call or talk to the right person at just the right time when they are at their lowest point. And... You're just talking. Everybody can talk. You don't have to be an orator. You don't have to be a speaker. It doesn't take huge speaking skills. Just being genuine and letting somebody know that you've been praying for them can be just what they need at that particular moment in time. You also don't need any special skills to be in church. You encourage your brothers and sisters just when you're in church. And you have the ability to talk to people and encourage them. And other people can encourage you when you are in the house of God. You don't need any special skills to support the different department leaders by regularly attending the events that are scheduled. You just need to be there. And you're already encouraging and supporting the department leader, which has more value than you might realize. You could also be a silent helper and help to make sure that the church looks nice for everybody else by getting rid of rubbish or helping with cleaning, even when it's not your rubbish in the first place. Maybe nobody will ever notice, 
But God sees, and he rewards, and you are edifying the body of God. You are having, you are, you, are, you are using what you have to benefit God and the church. And if you want to help out further but don't know how, then talk to the pastor. There's always things that can be done to help the church move forward. And when you see the value in encouraging others in the church, God will help you to grow, to develop, and use the special talents and gifts that he's already given you that you may or may not know about yet. When you are active, when you are doing things, then God starts to open other doors. God starts to uh, mold your, your talents and, and the things that he's given you, your skills, your abilities that maybe you didn't even know were there in the first place. And he will start using those for his kingdom as well. So that you can be of even more value to God's kingdom. But even now, right where you are sitting here right now, you have value. Huge value to God. Just by being his child, you have value. Remember, God doesn't make junk. He gives us all value. You also have things that God wants you to do right now and in the future that will show your true value as well. But that won't come to pass until you have a little bit of faith. Start believing what God has already been trying to show you and see the value of you. If you could stand this morning and if I could get someone to the piano, please. You know, there are different personality types that are more susceptible to thinking that they're worthless. But that doesn't mean that that's a foregone conclusion. You see, when we are open to the leading of the Lord's Spirit, He will show us our value. And He's already told us our value. He tells it to us in His Word. He tells it to us in tongues and interpretations. He even tries to speak to us if we are willing to listen. But too often we just shake it off. We just say, no, 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 that's not me. That's not me. Yes, it is you. God wants you to know your value this morning. And it's not nothing. And it's not little. Just like these servants who had no position, they may not have even had many skills. But God was able to use them to have a huge impact and change the lives, the course of what others were able to do for the kingdom of God. And you can and you will have that same impact as you allow God to do that. So if you feel like you're worthless, then now is the time to let God minister to you and make you more aware. You can't realize your value by closing your mind or by ignoring or just thinking that this is the way I've always been. No, God's not interested in that. You need to know that you are valuable. You 
are able to have a huge impact on the kingdom of God. And you don't need a title. You don't need to stand in front of a pulpit to do that. So I invite you to come and pray. I invite you to reach out to the Lord this morning, especially if you are if you feel like you're worthless, if that has been a problem in your life for a very long time, then now is your opportunity. And the Lord will meet you here at the front of the church. The Lord will let you know your value, your worth, because nobody is worthless. Everybody has value. And God will use that value for his kingdom when you let him. Won't you come? Won't you talk? Won't you reach out to the Lord this morning?